You are listening to Radio Free Nashville, 107.1 and 103.7 FMLP and streaming live at RadioFreeNashville.org. Welcome to the Veterans for Peace Radio Hour and our special 4th of July stop it and say, wait a minute. I like it. What could be more out of place this July 4th than triumphal marching music, flag waving, chest thumping, and fireworks as we witness our nation failing utterly to bestow the inalienable rights of all men to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The grotesque class inequality and the scourge of racist policies in the U.S. have been laid bare during the COVID-19 pandemic with no end in sight. It has claimed the lives of mostly low-income and minority people. Right. And plus a lot of nursing home residents. Yeah. Most of them are in the low-income nursing homes. Exactly. Uh, <clears throat> So the resulting economic collapse, which is certainly coming and is well well along uh, the way, has left tens of millions unemployed and facing hunger, homelessness, and a lack of health care to boot. Again, sparing the wealthy and powerful as usual. An intrepid black teenage girl's cell phone video of the gruesome, cold-blooded, police murder of George Floyd was just the spark needed to ignite the pent-up rage felt across this country. On this show, we will try to place Independence Day in context with our shameful history of slavery in all its many forms and how the current nationwide uprising led by Black Lives Matter harkens back to 1776. But first, real quickly, my name is Jim Wolgamuth, and I'm here via Zoom with Tom Gross and Harvey Bennett. We're members of Veterans of Peace, which is an international organization of military veterans and allies whose collective efforts are to build a culture of peace by using our experiences and lifting our voices for the causes of peace, humanity, equality, and justice. Our network is comprised of over 140 chapters worldwide. Our radio show is on stations across the country. We are now meeting through Zoom, and if you'd like to join us, all you have to do is go to our Facebook page, the Veterans for Peace, uh, Chapter 089, and let us know, and we will send you a link. You can also follow us on Twitter at VFP Radio Nashville or at VFP 89 Radio. And you can find all of our shows for five years worth by just going to bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y slash, now these are capital letters, B-F-P, and then regular letters, Radio Hour. So it's bit.ly, bit.ly slash B-F-P Radio Hour. Also, if you're a station and uh, you find this show a little bit interesting and you would like to have us regularly on your agenda, Send me a text, 703-403-6135. You can do that for questions or suggestions about another show. 
And so get in touch with us, 703-403-6135. All right, promotion. So the Veterans of Peace Radio Hour and Radio Free Nashville are supported in part by the Green Party of Tennessee, bringing some common sense into the bipolar world of American politics. GreenPartyofTennessee.org. Happenings. We're still marching. We're still rallying. So make a sign, grab a mask, and go make a difference. Now, the recent interest in even awareness of Juneteenth, ironically instigated by President Trump's clueless or contrived scheduling of his Tulsa rally on that anniversary, provides a window into the yawning gulf between how propertied white males staked their lofty claim to independence in 1776 and how enslaved black people were treated as passive recipients of the compassionate act of magnanimous white emancipator in 1863. Of course, the Texas planter class never told their enslaved about this so they could continue to be enriched by their unpaid labor until a Union Army general spilled the beans in Galveston two and a half years later, on June 19, 1865. Well, those who signed the Declaration of Independence back in 1776 considered life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness in that order as the inalienable rights of all mankind. They clearly had their priorities all wrong, according to our current president and his loyal followers. The coronavirus pandemic response of Trump and his allies in Congress and many state houses seem to believe pursuit of happiness slash liberty must come first. They seem to equate the two, mm-hmm. as liberty is freedom to pursue happiness or, or to do whatever you feel like or not doing. Or and only then, life, yeah. if you're lucky enough to survive. Exactly. Black Lives Matter movement gets it. They didn't call themselves the Black Liberty Movement or the Black Pursuit of Happiness Movement, even though those are their inalienable rights as well. They understood that for them, this was a time of action as a matter of life and death. Of survival. Yeah. So that's what I've got so far. Uh, We could have the audio clip of James Earl Jones reading the Frederick Douglass address on on, uh, what Independence Day means to a black man or whatever, you know, which is pretty good. Did you listen to it? Oh, yeah. They're familiar with it anyway. I've heard that before. It's it's wonderful. It's very good. And uh, anyway, much of what he says, in there is mirrored in the uprising. That's what it it is part of what it takes if you want to be free. Here's Amy Goodman's introduction. This is the actor James Earl Jones reading the historic address during a performance of Howard Zinn's Voices of a People's History of the United States. This is the late great people's historian Howard Zinn. Frederick Douglass, once a slave, became a brilliant and powerful leader of the anti-slavery movement. In 1852, he was asked to speak 
in celebration of the 4th of July. Fellow citizens, pardon me and allow me to ask, why am I called upon to speak here today? What have I or those I represent to do with your national independence? Are the great principles of political freedom and of natural justice embodied in that declaration of independence extended to us? And am I therefore called upon to bring our humble offering to the national altar and to confess the benefits and express devout gratitude for the blessings resulting from your independence to us. I am not included within the pale of this glorious anniversary. Your high independence only reveals the immeasurable distance between us. The blessings in which you this day rejoice are not enjoyed in common. The rich inheritance of justice, liberty, prosperity, and independence bequeathed by your fathers is shared by you, not by me. The sunlight that brought life and healing to you has brought stripes and death to me. This 4th of July is yours, not mine. You may rejoice, I must mourn. To drag a man in fetters into the grand illuminated temple of liberty and call upon him to join you in joyous anthems were inhuman mockery and sacrilegious irony. Do you mean, citizens, to mock me by asking me to speak today? What to the American slave is your 4th of July? I answer, a day that reveals to him more than all other days of the year the gross injustice and cruelty to which he is a constant victim. To him, your celebration is a sham. Your boasted liberty, an unholy license, your national greatness, swelling vanity. Your sounds of rejoicing are empty and heartless. Your denunciation of tyrants, brass-fronted impudence. Your shouts of liberty and equality, hollow mockery. Your prayers and hymns, your sermons and thanksgivings, with all your religious parade and solemnity, are to him mere bombast, fraud, Deception, impiety, and hypocrisy, a thin veil to cover up crimes that would, that would disgrace a nation of savages. There's not a nation of the earth guilty of practices more shocking and bloody than are the people of these United States at this very hour. At a time like this, Scorching irony, not convincing argument, is needed. Oh, had I the ability and could reach the nation's ear, I would today pour forth a stream, a fiery stream of biting ridicule, blasting reproach, withering sarcasm, and stern rebuke. For it is not light that is needed, 
but fire. It is not a gentle shower, but thunder. We need the storm, the whirlwind, the earthquake. The feeling of the nation must be quickened. The conscience of the nation must be roused. The propriety of the nation must be startled. The hypocrisy of the nation must be exposed and the crimes against God and man must be proclaimed and denounced. That was so there was James Earl Jones reading a speech by Frederick Douglass that was given in 1852. Such a powerful speech and unfortunately still so relevant almost 170 years later. So let's get back to our discussion of Juneteenth and 4th of July. And Juneteenth has been celebrated in the black community for a century. Yeah, But mostly in Texas. But you would think that that would have gotten around. When was the first time you heard of Juneteenth? I think I heard about it in the 60s. But part of it is, I think they celebrated for quite a while, sort of like an underground thing. They they were afraid to be too boisterous about it. Certainly in the South, if you went around in the 1920s and celebrated June, Juneteenth, you, you might end up in a lynching party. Well, that's for sure. Harvey, when was the first time you ever heard of it? I'm embarrassed to say um, I heard that from Kathy from one of her interviews at the Civil Rights Room. And I don't know the context of it, how it was brought up. Yeah. And so that would have been... And in the... the, um, Let's see, when was she there? Or like 2003, 2004. Okay, so if you're embarrassed about that, then I'm ashamed to say that as far as under, hearing of it and understanding what it was, uh, that might have been within the last 10 years Yeah. for me. I mean, uh, even with all the r- readings I have done with regard to the Civil War, uh, you know, James McPherson um, and, um, oh, of course, they slipped my mind. I, I remember it in connection with uh, the Black Panther Party. Okay, so you had you had that connection. Well, got you know the Black Panther Party was pretty big in Chicago. Oh yeah, the same sure. Yeah, that's right. So, but it was never part of never part of an education, never part of something. No, that uh, that that's one of the, that. If you go through history books what's left out is more important than what's in there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Right. Because like Bill Barr says, history will be written by the winners. Yeah. So, okay. So Juneteenth now, you know, that was June 19th of 1865. And that was when the word got to people who were enslaved in Texas, in Galveston, yeah. That they were free. Right. And they right. been free for over so two years. Yeah. That's two years no. after the proclamation was signed. That's right. I mean, the Emancipation Proclamation was signed. 
uh, after Antietam in 1862 became effective January 1st. And, you know, let's admit what the proclamation was, too. It was a lot of the motivation for the proclamation was to get uh, black slaves enlisted into the Union Army. Mm-hmm. Oh, sure. And to make it a moral cause, make it a moral cause. Now, but the problem with both Juneteenth and the Emancipation, uh, it didn't cover Kentucky right. or Maryland. It didn't cover the border states. And the border states, they right. kept they kept their slaves all the way till when? December of 1865 after the... Um, after the implementation of the 13th Amendment. Yeah. So, you know, so that's, that's another, that's another issue. But, you know, so Juneteenth. So I found a new clip produced by a lady named Mona Lalwani and featuring Carlos K. Hill. Here we hear a little bit about the history but more about the importance of Juneteenth. Juneteenth is a deeply emotional moment for enslaved people because for decades, for for centuries, enslaved people prayed for, hoped for, fought for in the form of slave rebellions, running away, bought their freedom when they could. If you read slave narratives, if you listen to spirituals from the era of slavery, you know that enslaved people longed for freedom. This was something that had been hoped for, but many believe may never come. When I think about Juneteenth, I think about it in the context of Emancipation Day celebrations that began January 1, 1863. They took on a whole new meaning when slavery was formally abolished after 1865. You would have had African-American veterans who fought in the Civil War be prominent in these celebrations, dressed in their military garb, speeches from enslaved people, the most prominent black politicians singing of hymns, spirituals, discussions of of registering to vote. Enslaved people celebrating in public their newfound freedom was an act of resistance. Because we have to remember slavery came to an end after a four years bloody, bloody civil war still the, the bloodiest conflict in American history. Many people in the South and in the nation who did not want to see slavery abolished fought tooth and nail to block the 13th Amendment. When the last federal troops leave the South, it's a signal to Southerners the federal government wasn't going to put its might into ensuring the civil rights of black people would be observed. You have 20, 30 years later, black people being lynched in public, and there isn't a a federal anti-lynching law to protect them. In most communities in America, there's a history of lynching and racial violence. And very few communities have marked that, commemorated that. 
Every decade since the end of slavery, Black people have been more educated, accrued more wealth, more status in American society. Every decade since 1865. But there's been one constant, and that constant is the presence of random racist violence. What I see in George Floyd's murder was a white police officer attempting to dominate and to subdue a black man who was not resisting, who could not resist. Even though slavery came to an end in 1865, the desire to master and dominate black bodies did not. And we have never dealt with that. These are the kinds of stark realities that are highlighted during Juneteenth. If black people's lives can be expunged through racist violence and no one is held accountable, how free are we? Are we free? So uh, right now in the middle of all these protests and calls for reform, uh, I'd like to play a clip of uh, Reverend Bishop William Barber, um, a conclusion speech he gave in celebration of Juneteenth and uh, Freedom Day and uh, what he had to say about what it takes to keep a movement going and what a movement is composed of in terms of a total commitment to inclusion and who represents a movement and who keeps it going. So here's William Barber. A moral fusion movement must resist one moment mentality. We must build a movement. If you think having one rally is going to change extremists, they will come out and look at your rally, eat lunch during your rally, and go right back in and do the same thing they were doing before your rally. No one victory will usher in the beloved community. I want you to know yesterday was powerful, but now the real work began because the tax is going to come, the struggles are going to come, we got to hold people accountable. Not one moment. And we have to make sure that no single setback can stop us. Last two things, when Frederick Douglass, when the Drew uh, uh, Dred Scott decision came down by Supreme Court justice that should have never made it on the court, the ruling said a black man has no rights that a white man has to obey. 1857, people said the, the abolition movement was over. Frederick Douglass, uh, two months later, did a speech. He talked about the ugliness of it, and then he said, but let me tell you something. Every effort to allow and to stop the abolition movement has only served to embolden and advance our, the intensification of our action. We don't get turned back because of a setback. We don't get turned back because somebody fights against us because people only fight you when they're scared you got something to say. People only cheat you when they're scared that they can't beat you in a fair fight. A setback is a setup for us to keep on pushing forward. No one moment mentality. And I gotta make my way now to North Carolina 
to help bury a dear friend happened suddenly. But I close here, Liz, since you prepare to come. One of my favorite scriptures that helps sum up what moral movements is is in the Psalm 118. The ancient rabbis, any rabbis in here? The ancient rabbis, the psalmist said, these, this is the stone that the builders have rejected. But now the stone that the builders have rejected has become the chief cornerstone. And this is the Lord's doing. In other words, God can use the rejected to revive a nation. I wish I had a witness here. And I know that in this room, there are some who've known rejection. You've been rejected because of your sexuality. You've been rejected because of who you love. You've been rejected because of your religion. You've been rejected because of how you were born. You've been rejected because of your class. You've been rejected because of your race. You've been rejected because somebody needed somebody to hate to try to feel good about themselves. There are folk in this room that have known rejection. Rejection because of income. Rejection because of faith. Rejection because of the way you look. Rejection because of the lack of faith. Rejection because somebody thought they had a false mandate to demean your humanity given to you only by the divine spirit. But I want you to know this day that the stones that the builders rejected are now the cornerstones of this new experience and this moral movement and this poor people's campaign. And I want you to know that when the rejected get together, we can redeem America from hate and discrimination. I want you to know that when hands that once picked cotton join hands of Latinos, join hands of progressive whites, join faith hands and labor hands and Asian hands and Native American hands and poor hands and wealthy hands with a conscience and gay hands and straight hands and trans hands and Christian hands and Jewish hands and Muslim hands and Hindu hands and Buddhist hands. When we all get together, we are an instrument of redemption. When we join hands, we can revive and make sure that the promise of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness and equal protection under the law is never taken away from anybody. So I got a question. Are the rejected ready to revive and declare that this land is your land? This land is my land. This land is our land. And together, from the State House to the White House, the rejected are going to demand that this nation never give up on being one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Of course, that was Reverend William Barber, who is now co-chair of the Poor People's Campaign, a national call for a moral revival. And of course... His call is for more than one rally and more than one action. And that when the rejected, as he calls us, join, we become a voice for redemption. And that is what is happening. The occupation at our legislative plaza in downtown Nashville, uh, which the young people have renamed Ida B. Wells Plaza, is on its 
first day. They've been there 24 seven for three, almost three weeks. They've suffered arrests, some injuries, some forced movements. They have faced the police in peace. And yes, they have faced rejection because while they were there, the Tennessee legislature, the Republicans in the Tennessee legislature in committee voted 11 to five to keep the bust of Nathan Bedford Forrest. Even while other states moved to remove, moved to remove their monuments to the Confederacy and racism. You know, it's even uh, the legislature in Mississippi, I guess it was yesterday or Friday. I don't know which day. They finally voted to change their flag. Yeah, take off the, the Confederate. Uh, and and in this climate, we can't get the damn yeah, statue out of the damn Capitol. Well, you know, and because just consider South Carolina took down John C. Calhoun. It's frustrating. Yeah. It's really frustrating here. I mean, John C. Calhoun, John C. Calhoun, right. taken down in South Carolina. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. I mean, ten foot perch. Yes, and it took a lot of work to get him down. Yeah, they and, went out there at midnight thinking they could get it done before dawn. Yeah, took and, until almost the afternoon. And Mississippi, Mississippi, uh, eliminates the Confederate flag, and Bubba Watson from NASCAR gets mm-hmm. the Confederate flag taken down from all the all the races, and we still have to maintain Nathan Bedford Forrest. <laughs> I it mean, says it, a lot. It, it says a lot about how entrenched the lost cause movement is. It's, it's in Tennessee it's forced into kind of an underground thing. And now during Trump, it's come back to, you know, relive another uh, rendition. Harvey found a new clip with Dr. Cornell West speaking with Brian Williams of NBC. One of the lowest moments in the history of this nation. Uh, I think that uh, Brother Trump is in the process of becoming an American version of George III with Pharaoh's and Pontius Pilate's versions of biblical religion. What I mean by that is, is that there is a disregard for the law we've already seen. There is a sowing of the seed of greed, hatred, and corruption, and you reap the chaos. That's what Brother Martin said, chaos or community. You know, the great Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel used to say, the very future of this nation depends on how we respond to the legacy of Martin Luther King Jr. What he was, and what he had in mind was, what are you going to do about your poverty? What are you going to do? about your racism, not just against black people, but against indigenous peoples, against Asia, against Jews, against Muslims, against Mexicans and Latinos. What are you going to do about your materialism, your addiction, the spectacle and superficial things of money and commodities? And then what are you going to do about your militarism? Internationally, your military base, your drones, Domestically, the militarizing of your police and the ways in which that has a disproportionate impact 
on the weak and vulnerable who tend to be black people and other peoples of color and poor and working class whites, but disproportionately black. And this moment of reckoning, my dear brother, means we're in a fork in the road. Right now, there's a massive crisis in the legitimacy of any leadership who, who actually speaking out. Of course, the Republican Party is following its neo-fascist gangster who's the leader. The Democratic Party, neoliberal leader, we'll see what Brother Biden has to say, but it's hard to believe that he's going to be able to come through with what is necessary, even though he's so much better than Brother Trump. We must have a spiritual, moral, and democratic awakening among all of the citizens who care, recognizing we're going to disagree in the public square, but recognizing that we are losing our democracy. In any time, any society can no longer mobilize the best of its past. It could be Lincoln, it could be Frederick Douglass, it could be Walt Whitman, it could be Tony Morrison. It could be, well, I won't go on and on. But do we have what it takes? It's hard to say. If our system has become so choked by greed and hatred and contempt that it doesn't allow for reform, then the choice is between nonviolent revolution, violent explosions per, that occur over and over again. And I'm opting for nonviolent revolution. By revolution, all I mean is what Martin Luther King meant, which is the fundamental sharing of power, resources, respect, and wealth, redistribution of wealth, what Brother Bernie was talking about. And I don't believe Bernie has a monopoly on wisdom, even though I supported him twice. But we are in this together. We hang together or we hang separately. But we are also a part of the world. And the world is, is looking. Chinese empire against our own empire. Can it undergo the kind of democratic awakening? Because it needs fundamental change as well. What about our brothers and sisters in Latin America? What about our brothers and sisters in, 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 in the Middle East? Oh, precious Africa. It is a global affair. And Norm Chomsky reminds us we've got ecological catastrophe waiting for us. And if we have leaders that view it as a hoax, then the whole planet goes under and it's all over. And all you got is the cockroaches. That's where we are now. But I do have hope. I'm a blues man. Black people been through slavery. Black people been through neo-slavery, call American terrorism and lynching. And we've been through so much hatred. And we've always produced magnificent love warriors like Don Coltrane loves Supreme. Martin King's love ethic and Tony Morrison's be loving and James Baldwin's love forces us to take off the mask. We know we cannot live within, but fear we cannot live without. Yes, those love warriors, where are they? Where are the love warriors? To teach our young people, no matter what color, put love and justice in your struggle and get that revenge out. But we acknowledge the pain and tell them those at the top that the days of you weeping, this chaos based on your greed, is producing precisely the opposite of what Amos, what Esther, what Jesus, I would add Muhammad was all about. Justice, justice, 
choose ye justice. Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. That's Hebrew scripture. Jesus running the money changes out of the temple in the name of the love of the poor people, not losing sight of the money changers, but knowing it's their greed that's choking the best of what was going on in Jerusalem. That's what we need. And if we don't meet that challenge, Brother Brian, the world of trouble, man. Oh, we're in a world of trouble, all right. Um, A blues man like you no doubt knows my favorite, which is No Shoes by John Lee Hooker, in which he writes about being at at the very bottom in life. Just there are no shoes on his feet and no food for his family. And what we are seeing in the streets is the kind of desperation that comes with easily 50 million uh, of our American citizens unemployed, north of 100,000 of our fellow Americans dead in a pandemic that happens to be slicing way over indexing through communities of color and poverty. Am I correct in saying that some of the destruction we're seeing and some of the looting we're seeing right up to and including tonight is the intersection of anger and opportunity? On the intersection of anger and massive neglect, massive poverty, dilapidated housing, decrepit school systems, not enough jobs with a living wage, no access to health care, and the collapse of family, the collapse of community, the collapse of schools. And so you get these precious individuals. And I love my brothers and sisters in the street, even when they're wrong, but I love them enough to correct them. Because gangsters come in all forms. I got a lot of gangster in me. But the challenge is the gangsterism at the top it's been sucking so much of the wealth owing to the greed, so much of the power owing to its connection to the greed. No democracy can survive when its public life, its public goods are so privatized and militarized and individualized. John Dewey taught us that, one of our great philosophers. We've got to look at the best of our past in this moment and see whether we can mobilize it for this these new circumstances. If we can, we'll make it out like Lincoln, like FDR, like LBJ. But if we don't make it out, then we just become another empire that had high democratic possibilities that understood itself as the great city on the hill, the grand exemplar of liberty, but never came to terms with your slavery, never came to terms with your Jim Crow never came to terms with your working class that was unable to gain access to jobs with a living wage, never came to terms with the humanity of the vast majority of humankind, women, never came to terms with the rich humanity of our precious trans and gay and lesbian brothers and sisters, never came to terms with the new immigrants. Now, I do believe, ooh, we've got a whole lot of magnificent human beings in this country. The problem is, is that it's hard for that to spill over given the rigidity of our structures. And thank God that those in the street, especially during the day, come from all colors, all gender, all sexual orientations, Mm -hmm. 
So the public lynching of a precious black brother, our dear brother George, sparks something deep in the souls of every color, every gender in this nation to get to speak. That's why I thank God the industry. But we do have to acknowledge the degree to which we got to keep track of the best of who we are and render accountable everybody at the highest level as well as those on the ground. Well, there was Dr. Cornell West, another powerful voice applauding and advising the people in the street, the people taking action, because as he says, if we don't get this done and done now, we cannot make radical change now, then, well, we're in a world of hurt. So we've heard from powerful voices pleading with this United States at this time to come clean on its sins and to gain redemption. Have you noticed the references to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness? This American dream? Well, I want to share one more clip. You'll know who it is. I would like to discuss some of the problems that we confront in the world today and some of the problems that we confront in our own nation by using as a subject the American dream. And I choose this subject because America is essentially a dream. It is a dream of a land where men of all races of all nationalities and of all creeds can live together as brothers. The substance of the dream is expressed in these sublime words. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal that they are endowed by their Creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It says that each individual has certain inherent rights that are neither derived from or conferred by the state, they are gifts from the hands of the Almighty God. Very seldom, if ever, in the history of the world has a socio-political document expressed in such profound, eloquent, and unequivocal language the dignity and the worth of human personality. Well, the American dream reminds us that every man is the heir of a legacy of worthfulness. But ever since the founding fathers of our nation dreamed this dream, America has been something of a schizophrenic personality. 
On the one hand, we have proudly professed the noble principles of democracy. On the other hand, we have sadly practiced the very antithesis of those principles. Indeed, slavery and segregation have been strange paradoxes in a nation founded on the principle that all men are created equal. But now more than ever before, America is challenged to realize its noble dream. The clock of destiny is ticking out, and we must act now before it is too late. It is trite but urgently true that if America is to remain a first-class nation, she can no longer have second-class citizens. So every person of goodwill in this nation is called upon to work passionately and unrelentingly to realize the American dream, and the persons who are working to do this are not dangerous agitators, they are not dangerous rabble-rousers, but they are the persons working to save the soul of America. And if the American dream is to be a reality, we must continue to engage in creative protest in order to break down those barriers which make it impossible for us to realize the American dream. Now we must get rid of two false ideas in order to continue to engage in creative protest. One idea is the myth of time. There are those people who argue that time alone will solve this problem. And so they say you must not push things. You must be patient, you must sit down and wait, and sometimes they decorate it in even larger terms. They say cool off for a while and slow up for a while. Time is the only thing that can solve this problem. What we must come to see is that evolution is true in the biological realm. So Darwin is right at that point. But when a Herbert Spencer seeks to apply it to the whole of society, that is little evidence for it. Human progress never rolls in on the wheels of inevitability. It comes through the tireless efforts and the persistent work of dedicated individuals, and without this hard work, time itself becomes the ally of the insurgent and primitive forces of irrational emotionalism and social stagnation, so that we must somehow get rid of this idea that time alone will solve the problem. We must use time. Another idea is the idea of the myth of what I call educational determinism. It is the idea that only education will solve this problem. I'm sure you've heard this, that you've got to change the hearts of people and people must be educated to the point that they will change their attitudes. Now, there's some truth in this. But 
to say this is the only thing is where we develop the myth. It is not either education or legislation. It is both education and legislation. Now, it may be true that you cannot uh, legislate morality. It may be true that morality cannot be legislated, but behavior can be regulated. It may be true that the law cannot make a man love me, but it can keep him from lynching me. And I think that's pretty important also. Now, this is what we seek to do through the law, to control the external effects of bad internal feelings. Religion and education will have to change the attitudes, but legislation, executive orders, uh, judicial decrees will have to control the external effects of bad internal attitudes. And therefore, if we are to realize the American dream, we must continue to work through legislation. So it is necessary for Congress to pass meaningful legislation. It is needed at this present hour. This is what we must do in order to realize the American dream. I believe if we will follow these things, we will be able to bring that day into being. But it will not come until every individual in our nation develops this type of concern. And may I say, as I move toward my conclusion, this is not just a local problem. Both people who live in New York or in California or in Illinois have an obligation to be concerned about this problem. We still confront segregation in its glaring and conspicuous forms in Alabama, Mississippi, Georgia, Louisiana, and all over the South. We still confront it in its hidden and subtle forms. In Illinois, in California, in Pennsylvania, and even in New York. But if democracy is to live, segregation must die. And we need people all over America who are genuine liberals. It is one thing to rise up with righteous indignation when a Negro is lynched in Mississippi or when a bus is burned in Anniston, Alabama. But the person of goodwill will rise up with as much righteous indignation when a Negro cannot live in his neighborhood because he's a Negro, when a Negro cannot join his professional society or cannot be a member of his fraternity or sorority, when a Negro cannot get a position in his firm because he happens to be a Negro. In other words, there must be a concern on the part of people all over this country. And this is the way we will solve this problem. There are words that we use in every academic discipline, and pretty soon these words become a part of the technical nomenclature of these particular disciplines. Modern psychology has a word that is probably used more than any other word in psychology. It is the word maladjusted. Maladjusted. And certainly we all want to live the well-adjusted life in order to avoid neurotic personalities. But I say to you this evening that there are some things in our social order to which I'm proud to be maladjusted. 
I call upon men of goodwill all over the nation to be maladjusted until the good society is a reality. I never intend to adjust myself to the evils of segregation and discrimination. I never intend to become adjusted to religious bigotry. I never intend to adjust myself to economic conditions that will take necessities from the many to give luxuries to the few. I never intend to become adjusted to the madness of militarism and the self-defeating effects of physical violence. And I think the hour has come for men all over the nation and all over the world to be maladjusted to all of these things. For it may well be that the salvation of our world lies in the hands of the maladjusted. As maladjusted as Abraham Lincoln, who had the vision to see that this nation could not exist half slave and half free. As maladjusted as Thomas Jefferson, who in the midst of an age amazingly adjusted to slavery, could cry out in words lifted to cosmic proportions, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, as maladjusted as Jesus of Nazareth, who could say, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, pray for them that despitefully use you. And I believe that the world is in desperate need of such maladjustment. And with such maladjustment, we will be able to emerge from the bleak and desolate midnight of man's inhumanity to man into the bright and glittering daybreak of freedom and justice. And as we struggle to realize the American dream, let us realize that we do not struggle alone. Even though there are the difficult days ahead, even though before the victory is won, somebody else will have to get scarred up, somebody else will have to go to jail, maybe some will have to face physical death, for the victories won, some will be misunderstood, called bad names, be dismissed as dangerous rabble-rousers and agitators. But even in the midst of that, the struggle must go on, knowing that the victory can be won, because the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. So there was Dr. King and his infinite wisdom from 50-plus years ago, revered now, but vilified then. That's right. Let me remind you again. He was vilified then. He scared people. He scared the powerful. He scared the establishment. Just as Frederick Douglass did a hundred years before him. And as Reverend Barbara Cornell West and our friend Justin Jones, who is leading the occupation here in Nashville, are scaring the powerful now. Scaring the establishment now. So I want to thank Harvey for coming up with the idea to link Juneteenth and July 4th together because they are really interconnected as far as us, the totality of Americans. I will never think about one without the other. And I hope you don't either. So this show has once again made us ask ourselves as we approach July 4th, Independence Day. Independence for whom? And again, let's remember the words of Dr. King. None of us are free until all of us are free.
So have a great 4th of July. Stay very safe. Maybe watch your fireworks on the TV. And with that, Harvey's grandson, Elijah, had a recommendation to end the show. So here is The Bigger Picture by Lil Baby. I know. Trade my 4x4 for GC3, ain't no more freelance deep. I gave him chance, a chance, a chance again. I even told him, please. I find it crazy the police to shoot you and know that you dead, but still tell you to freeze. Fucked up, I seen what I seen. I guess that mean hold him down if he say he can't breathe. It's too many mothers just grieving. They killing us for no reason. Been going on for too long to get it even. Throw us in cages like dogs and hyenas. I went to court and they sent me to prison. My mama was crushed when they said I can't leave. First I was drunk, then I sobered up quick when I heard all that time that they gave it to Ali. He got a license plus. We just some products of our environment. How the fuck they gon' blame us? You can't fight fire with fire. I know, but at least we can turn off the flames on Every color person ain't dumb And all whites not racist I be judging by the mind and heart I ain't really in the face Fuck up the way that we living is not getting better You gotta know how to survive Crazy, I had to tell all of my loved ones to carry a gun when they going outside Stay in the mirror whenever you drive Overprotective, go crazy for mine You gotta pay attention to the sign Seem like the blind following the blind Thinking about everything that's going on I boost security up at my home I'm with my kind and they right or they wrong I call him now, he'll pick up the phone and it's five in the morning, he waking up on it Tell him wherever I'm at, then they coming I see blue lights, I get scared and start running That shit be crazy, they post to protect us Swords and handcuffs and arrest us Why they go home at night, that shit messed up Knowing we needed help, they neglect us One of them who gon' make them respect us I can see in your eye that you fed up Fuck around, got my shot, I won't let up They know that we a problem together They know that we can storm anywhere else. It's bigger than black and white It's a problem with the whole way of life it Can't change overnight but we gotta start somewhere, might as well go ahead start here We done had a hell of a year, I'ma make it count why I'm here God is the only man I fear Fuck it, I'm going on the front line, he gon' bust your ass If you come past that gun line, you know when the storm go away Then the sunshine, you gotta put your head in the game when it's crunching I want all my sons to grow up to be monsters I want all my daughters to show out in public Seem like we losing our country, but we gotta stand up for something So this what it comes to, every video I see on my country I got power now, I gotta say something Corrupted police been the problem where I'm from But I'd be lying if I said it was all of them I ain't do this for the trend, I don't follow them Altercations with the law, had a lot of them People speaking for the people, I'm proud of them Stick together, we can get it up out of them I can't lie like I don't rap about killing and dope But I'm telling my my youngest to vote, I did what I did cause I didn't have no choice and no hope I was forced to just jump in and go, this bullshit is all that we know But it's time for a change, got time to be serious, no time for no games Ain't taking no more, let us go for them chains God bless they soul, every one of them names It's bigger than black and white, it's a problem with the whole way of life It can't change overnight, but we gotta start somewhere Might as well go ahead, start here, we done had a hell of a year I'ma make it count why I'm here, God is the only man I fear they training officers to kill us, then shooting protesters with these rubber bullets. They regular people, I know that they feel us. These scars too deep, they heal us. What happened to COVID? Nobody remember, it ain't making sense. I'm just here to vent. It happened to one of your people, it's different. We get it, the system is wicked, just learn how to pick it. Knowledge is power, I swear I'm a witness. I know that I'm gifted, I won't go too deep, cause I'm scared they'll get me. Ain't scared to admit it, some shit I can't mention. It's people who can't, well, here's the chance. I won't take the stand, but I'll take a stand for what I believe. Must not be breathing the air that I breathe. You know that the way that I bleed, you can be. I never been a fan of police, but my neighborhood. No, I try to keep peace, so it's only right that I get in the streets March for a reason, I just on GP How people die for us to be free, fuck do you mean? This was a dream, now we got the power that we need to have They don't want us with it, and that's why they mad yeah. It's bigger than black and white It's a problem with the whole way of life, it can't change overnight But we gotta start somewhere, might as well go ahead start here We done had a hell of a year, I'ma make it count why I'm here God is the only man I fear It's bigger than black and white
bigger than black and white. It's a problem with the whole way of life. It can't change overnight. But we gotta start somewhere. Might as well go ahead and start here. We didn't have a hell of a year. I'ma make it count why I'm here. God is the only man I fear.